0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, it is Tuesday, December the 19th, the year is beginning to wind down and who better to wind down the year with than my old friend Bethany Patrick, Bethan Patrick, not Bethany. Uh, okay. Beth Ann Patrick, the book critic of the LA Times, frequent guest, my ears and eyes and brain to the, the world of books, and uh, she has her favorite fiction of 2023. Has it been, before we get to any of the books, uh Ann, has it been a good year for fiction?
1: Oh, I think it's been a great year, but I am biased because I spend so much time reading fiction. And so I tend to find a lot of things I love, but I think it's been an excellent year and a very interesting year as well. So um, glad to be back as usual. And I want to say that this was really tough because it was a good year, I think, for fiction. It was really tough to narrow things down to just a few titles. But I want to start out with the one that I think just shines Head and Shoulders Above the Rest, which is Witness by Jamel Brinkley. And like everyone else, I have been glued to the new season of The Gilded Age. And in The Gilded Age, we have some Black characters, including Miss Scott, who acts as a secretary to Agnes Van Ryn, the matriarch of the Van Ryn family living uptown. And Miss Scott also spends her time working as a journalist for one of the many Black newspapers that flourished in 19th century New York. And In this season, she goes south to Tuskegee where the new buildings of the Tuskegee Institute are being opened. And what I saw in those scenes is the problem of double consciousness that W.E.B. Du Bois uh, defined as Black Americans who know who they are. That's the first consciousness. But then they also have to consider with every step how they're seen by white people Uh, and so double consciousness you can see Miss Scott navigating her way through it with every choice she makes whether professional or personal or familial and that's what's here in Jamel Brinkley's second collection of short stories. Andrew we've talked about it before on the show. Yeah and I hope you've
0: you've done a very, you've done the thing that no novelist should ever do which is give away the ending before
1: even begun by saying that it's the best. Is this the best one? This... Uh, I, I do think I should never do that, but I just think that this collection—you let the is, cat out the bag. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is why I'm. I'm such a. Ter- I'm a terrible critic. I'm a terrible critic. No, you're but, a
0: good critic.
1: <laughs> but what I want to say about this one is, it's all about witness. It's all about seeing and being seen, and. The fascinating thing, and this is why I brought up that double consciousness, is there's hardly a white character in this book. The characters are all people of color, and yet none of them is ever able to forget that white characters are all around. It's a stunning contribution to this country's literature.
0: And who, who uh, does Jamil Brinkley, what, what sort of tradition, who would you compare him with?
1: Oh, what a good question. I would say, He's definitely in the tradition of James Baldwin. There's no question there. Which
0: is serious company.
1: Yes, uh, he is very close. Um, Jamel Brinkley, that's why I let the cat out of the bag. He is standing very solidly on the shoulders of giants. And I believe that um, were she alive, Toni Morrison would be recommending witness to many people.
0: And what kind of writer is he lyrical angry polemical uh,
1: i would say more lyrical and and eloquent and and you know there's a fluidity to his writing you read these stories and they're very hard, sad things happen, but you are carried along. It's a, it's a real musicality that Brinkley has. And here's the other thing, and I believe I might have said this before. This is a second short story collection. He does not have a novel out. That is remarkable. That shows you the pitch, the very high standard that Jamel Brinkley is achieving in Witness.
0: Should it be, though, your your favorite book of the year if it's short stories? I mean, can it be all these other novels?
1: You know, uh, that's why there's more than one. I didn't have to just pick one book. However, when it comes to a combination of what is important and relevant and literary excellence, you know, prose that is just perfectly paced, pitched, written, Brinkley's right there, but I, I, let's, we, we can well, go
0: on. Before we move on, what's your favorite story in the collection?
1: Oh gosh, you would ask me that. Oh my gosh, Andrew. Um, it's one, let me see. Oh, now I'm going to have to look at, um, I should have be, no, made... no it's, um, it's one in which there is a woman who's ill. What is the, it's, no, this is, ju- it's just terrible never ask me these things uh you know uh I I freeze up it's like the fight flight yeah
0: what what was it about
1: it was about a woman who's ill in her apartment and the people who are caring for her and ah, I my brain just now is like hanging yeah. up um, bits of other things uh, to, so so sorry I really should have that already set in my head so while we're talking I will be looking it up
0: <laughs> well that's certainly uh, you you've suggested that that's your favorite uh, piece of fiction Jamel Brinkley's Witness a short story collection what else you've got seven books on the list where else should we uh, you know what, what is- else should we be reading
1: Andrew, this is why my brain froze up because it's the title story witness. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's why. That that's why. My, but what else we should be reading? Oh gosh. Well, I'll give a couple of minutes to one that we did a lot of a show on, which is Julia by Sandra Newman, and this yeah. is the retelling of George Orwell's 1984. And one of the things I want to say about this, I promised you I wouldn't bring up The Crown, but now I have to. So in this season of The Crown, uh, Carol Middleton, the actor playing Carol Middleton, says to her daughter, Kate, about the lingerie show at university. We've got to use what God gave us. So she says, don't wear flats. You've got to wear high heels so you can show off those long, lovely legs of yours. And in Julia, Sandra Newman has the protagonist, Julia Worthington, using everything she has all the way to the novel's end. And one of the things that I also thought about as I was thinking on why this book has spoken to me so much this year is the opening scene. Julia is bicycling back to the hostel, the women's hostel, where she stays. It's sort of a dormitory. And It's so she can do a cleanup in a bathroom. And it is a chilling reminder of what's just recently happened in Ohio, where a young woman who had a late-term miscarriage at home has been arrested because she's been accused of handling the remains um, improperly. It's really scary what is going on when it comes to women, childbirth, procreation, reproductive rights. And in Julia, Sandra Newman does not shy away from going into the places where Winston, Orwell's protagonist, would not have been able to tread. There's a lot going on in terms of how Julia uses her femininity, her feminism, and her status as a woman. It really, really is one of my favorite books this year.
0: Yeah, you really uh, you 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 suggested it was better than Orwell. Better, I, than- I did.
1: I stand by that. I uh, believe me. I've gotten a couple of nasty grams about it, but that's okay. Uh, I I really love the book. What
0: what what, what did they say? The nasty grams.
1: Oh, the nasty grams said, "You are writing this on a keyboard based on a typewriter invented by men. Men invent all of the." meaningful things in the world and yet you're standing up and saying a woman is better at writing a story than george orwell was
0: i actually thought of uh, julia last night i went to see brazil i mean i'd seen it before <gasps>
1: oh, that movie oh my goodness Andrew.
0: a strong uh orwellian feel yes. uh, and uh more women in it i think than uh, in uh, orwell's 1984 yes uh, we are speaking with my friend Ann Patrick, the book critic of the LA Times. She has her seven favorite works of fiction for the year. We've talked about Witness, and we've talked about Julia. Where next, Bethan?
1: Oh, well, I think we have to talk about a very late entry for me, The Berry Pickers by Amanda Peters. Mm. And I should have read this months ago. I was pitched it very properly and given, you know, a strong reason to read it. It is a debut novel by a writer I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from. And Peters herself comes from a combination of Mi'kmaq or Mi'kmaq, depending on, you know, how you transliterate, and settler um, ancestry. And so she says that at one point, when she was deciding what to write about, her father said, you should write about us, the berry pickers, meaning the migrant workers who go from Nova Scotia to Maine in the summer to pick the blueberries. And she said, well, I don't know. I've never written fiction. I don't know if I can do this. And he kept saying, you should write about us, the berry pickers. She has. And this is a beautiful book about people who are often paid no attention and yet it is a bit of a mystery, even though the mystery is kind of solved for you quite early on. So what happens is there's a big Micmac family and they've come to pick berries for the summer and their little youngest daughter, four year old Ruthie is absconded, she disappears. And at first you think it's going to be the mystery of what happened to Ruthie, but then the book is divided into sections, narrated by Joe, Ruthie's oldest brother, and a woman named Norma who grows up in a family and never feels she quite belongs. So you know very, very soon that Norma is Ruthie, that a white couple has taken this little girl and raised her as their own and raised her with lies. She has darker skin than they do. And they say, oh, that's your Italian great grandmother, you know, and that kind of thing. But the book isn't about the mystery. The book is about the grief and the loss. And Joe has a very tough life. He never gets over. His family's splintering in the wake of this terrible, terrible thing. And Norma grows up and makes a life for herself, but always feels there's something missing. So the real mystery is, will these two people eventually meet and what will that meeting be like? It's a book about character and it's a book about people again, whom we often forget to pay any attention to. I just absolutely loved it. Uh, I hope that many other people will pick it up. It's it's quite different and, and quite lovely.
0: Pick it up or pick it. The berry picker. Oh, oh, Generous oh! There. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, uh, most of the books you choose, uh, Bethan, are and correct me if I'm wrong. These are this is literary fiction. Um, agents always tell me that it's harder and harder to sell these books. Yes. You suggested it, is. it was a good year for fiction and particularly for literary fiction. Are these books actually selling? I mean, what would be for a book like The Berry Pickers? Uh what would be a successful uh amount of books to sell? 5000, 10000?
1: Well, let's put it this way, Andrew. I think I'm not sure if I'm going to get this statistic correct, but it's something like 85% of books don't sell 5000 copies or more. So books that do sell more than 5000 copies are the lucky ones. I believe that the ones I'm choosing are probably books that are selling. Some of these are going to be selling ten 000 to twenty thousand copies. Some mm-hmm. of them maybe a little bit more. I think Brinkley, because of his National Book Award um nomination, will you know get more. Uh, I think uh, Paul Murray was on the Booker Prize long list, and that yeah. will sell some books. Um, Julia will sell because of the Orwell connection, but. Here's the one I'm going to talk about next, which is going to have a really tough time. Well, um, sa-
0: save it because we're going to take a, a short commercial break. We're going to remind good. everyone that uh, Bethann Patrick is uh, one of the reasons she's brought to us is because of Liberty's uh, quarterly journal, culture and politics, who support our high quality, <coughs> excuse me, content and show and guests are going to run a short feature on Liberties, and then we'll be back. I realize, Beth Ann, um, that I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at math. I said seven, but it's actually only six. Yes, uh, thank so goodness. So we've done three and you've got three more. You've given away one of them, Paul Murray. Maybe we'll begin with that after this short ad for Liberties. Okay. News, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. You can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. All our guests are given complimentary annual subscriptions if they ever get it, Bethan, I'm sure you will eventually. Um, <laughs> you, you gave away... Um, The next book, you talked about Paul Murray, The Beast Thing. I have to admit, I haven't read it, but it looks a really good book. I think it's one of those books I'm going to have to get for a plane journey.
1: It is the perfect book for a plane journey. In fact, I read it when I was on the plane to Europe in October. And one of the things I want to say about this family drama, as you see in the headline there, is that... There is at the heart of it, an Irish fairy tale about the traveler who falls asleep and believes he's awoken in this wonderful place. There's food, there's music, there's endless alcohol, dancing, all kinds of revelry. And he is feted to within an inch of his life. And then he falls asleep because he's had all this food and drink. And when he wakes up, he's in a cold, dark place, nothing around him, no one he loves, his yeah. home is, has vanished. And so the reason this is so important to the Beasting, um, which is Murray's, uh, I believe it's his fourth novel and probably his um, first that's getting this kind of attention since Skippy dies, came out. Um, this is about a family disintegrating. So it's about a family that has had all of these good times and they're about to fall asleep into the spiral where they wake up with nothing. And so you have um, a family of Dickie is the father, Imelda the mother, Cass is the daughter, and PJ, the 12-year-old son. And all of them are falling apart in different ways. Dickie has had a very successful auto dealership in their town in Ireland, but he's losing it. He's mismanaged it, financially gone bankrupt. all kinds of things are happening to him. His past is coming back to him. The bee sting of the title refers to something that happened at their wedding to Imelda, who is a great beauty, the well-known beauty of their region. And Dicky lifted her up into upper middle-class splendor, sort of new money splendor, which she loved. She grew up very poor. But on their wedding day, she supposedly was stung by a bee. It caused her face to swell up. And so she had to wear a very thick veil. She had to put her veil over her face. But it's really about the veil of tears or the veil of unknowing. And it's how this family fails to communicate with each other and with other people who could support them. But it's the funniest book about unraveling that you'll read this year. Uh, I don't know. Paul Murray is really kind of a tiny genius. His books show that you can be very funny and very witty about what's happening to all of us in real life, whether he's talking about global warming, um, the fall of the Irish tiger, what have you he still says look we're alive we're humans we might as well laugh because otherwise you will cry and it's a very tough book with an odd and unknowable ending we but
0: give that away we won't
1: no 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 i won't
0: and speaking of tigers um
1: loot uh i mean i guess it's not a tiger but uh it is a tiger, uh, you know. Tanya James, who is a truly gifted writer, I loved her earlier novel, "The Tusk That Did the Damage," yeah. which is about it's a
0: mechanical tiger. It's yeah. not a real. This thing.
1: is about a mechanical tiger, and it is uh, about having this tiger by the tail. So, uh, Tipu Sultan w- was an historical sultan in Mysore, 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 India, in the uh, 18th century, and he has a gifted wood carver Abbas, in his employ. And because of some things that are going on with contracts with the British, Tipu Sultan wants to show a little bit of power, and he has Abbas carve an automaton that looks like an Indian tiger, assaulting a British soldier. And this can be seen in the Victorian Albert Museum. It, it's a real piece of carving and it actually works. It's very different. It's not one of those later automatons from the 19th century that's quite sophisticated, made of metal, et mm. sat- It's a hand-carved piece. But meanwhile, in the actual novel, Abbas gets the opportunity to leave India for Europe with a French clockmaker that the Sultan has put in his employ. And so Lucien Deleuze, the clockmaker and Abbas travel back to France and then to London. And so what this really becomes about is a novel that shows how things become museum pieces and how some human beings like Lucien Abbas and Abbas's daughter, Jahan, how some human beings manage to keep themselves from becoming the playthings of rich colonials. They don't allow themselves to be erased from history. And I love everything about this book. It's so entertaining. It's so readable.
0: It's got a great it's got a great cover.
1: Well, it's got a great cover and I want to point out to everyone that loot is actually a word plundered from Hindi into English. So I, I thought that was a great, gr- great way for her to title it too. Wonderful cover.
0: And final book, mm-hmm. last but not least, uh, Vengeance is Mine by Marie Ndiaya.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And
0: Ndiaya. I think we've talked about this one before. Tell me about this.
1: Yeah, this is a book about who in any given relationship holds the power. And what does it mean to be in a place, to be in, you know, I I think it's in Bordeaux or Burgundy. I can't remember which region of France it is right now because I read it quite early in the year. But you're in this very bourgeois, very dull part of France and you have a lawyer. Her name is Maître Suzanne and she is supposed to be defending a woman accused of kill, of killing her three children. And the woman's husband, Gilles, Gilles Principeau is his name, actually is someone she knew in the past. And that comes up in the plot. But what also comes up is that um, the lawyers... Uh, Sharon, the lawyer's housekeeper, is agitating for different kinds of help and loans. And she is using, Sharon is using her status as a person of color to inculcate sympathy from her employer. So there's a lot going on in terms of power and what people can do to other people to shift the balance of power. And yeah, is a really really specific and unique author. Her prose is extremely plain. It is very straightforward, and yet it's so straightforward that you wonder what's going on behind these words. Um, Can everything be as simple as it seems, or is it really much more complicated? Um, It's one of those books that you have to read and put down and read and put down it's very powerful it will make you think differently about the way just everyday people in your life are interacting with everyone around them
0: are you going to read much over the holidays
1: I am. I'm already reading a lot over the holidays. I have got, you know, I've got a stack of paper books. I've got, um, you know, a whole queue and my e galleys and all of that sort of thing. The PDFs are starting to come in from various publishers. It's uh, always such a treat. And I actually am taking some time off this year. So I'm looking forward to diving in and um, getting caught up on 2024. So next time I see you, Andrew, we'll talk about the year to come in books.